Thank you, Lord. By the way, it's just uh, for all of you, this is just preparation for heaven. It's going to be a lot more than uh, 40 minutes of worshipping in heaven, just so that you know that. So this is only the trial run that's happening here. All right. Um, how many of you have ever had the opportunity to teach somebody how to drive? It's quite a scary experience, isn't it? If you haven't been there, I've got news for you. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I remember Terry and I had to, we had to teach both of our kids to drive. And uh, sometimes it was great and other times it wasn't so great. Sometimes it was really funny and other times it was a bit tense. Uh, that's a real testing of your relationships, by the way. Um, and, but the one thing I remember about that is, is when you teach your kids to drive, they kind of start off really fearful. And you know, I don't know if you can, some of you can still remember the first time you were ever in the traffic. It's like this guy's driving up your bumper because you're going like 30 k's an hour, you're petrified. You're trying to figure out how to keep your eyes on the road change gears and turn the steering wheel at the same time. But, but isn't it quite amazing that today you jump in your car with absolute comfort, confidence, doesn't matter what the traffic is like, and you're just happy to drive. Those of you that came by car this morning, you're going to get in your vehicle and go home, and you probably, if you've come with somebody, will chat to them and drive without even thinking about it. But can I remind you that you never started that way? That makes sense to you. We started in a certain place, but because we, we persevered, and I remember, <laughs> I remember our daughter, when Terry was teaching her to drive, they, there was a, a tense moment when mom was saying, watch out for this, and she's saying, stop, mom, I'm freaking, and she kind of came to an intersection, she just got out of the car and walked home. <laughs> It's like that's what happens. It's all part of learning to drive, by the way. But when we come to Mark's gospel in chapter 6, we are discovering Jesus is sending the disciples out for the very first time to do what he's been doing up to then. And this is their learning curve. If I could extend the analogy, they are learning to drive. He's saying to them, up to now, you've been watching me. Up to now, you've been listening to me. Up to now, you've been amazed by what I can do. Now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. And so this morning, what I want us to do is to look at some of the lessons the disciples learned when Jesus sends them out for the first time. And, and I've just realized for myself as, as, a, as, a, as a preacher and somebody who teaches God's Word, we often talk about the end result without realizing there is some in-between steps. We often talk about what God has called us to do without realizing there is a journey you have to go on to get there. It doesn't come just like that. And so that's what I want to focus on. So if we can go to the next slide, please. Um, I think there was one before. That. Oh, it's after that. Okay. Let's read the scripture first and then we'll, we'll take it from there. 
Mark chapter 6. Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Okay? That's Jesus. Then, calling the twelve to him. Not sure why he called the twelve to him. Perhaps they were at home. Perhaps they were elsewhere. And interesting comment. I think some people have the idea that, that Jesus might have lived with the disciples for sort of three and a half years. Maybe there were times they were at home and whatever as well. But he calls the twelve to them and he sent them out two by two. I wonder if the two by two is just so that they could support each other and encourage one another. Like, it's your turn to do the prayer for healing. You know, that kind of thing. So he sent them out two by two and he gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. This is wild. Think about it for a minute in today's context. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts, wear sandals, no change of clothes. That's called an extra tunic. Why do you say that? Why in the world would Jesus ask the guys to go out without all this stuff? Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. If any place won't welcome or listen to you, shake the dust of your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. So they went out, and they preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And when you read that, you should say, wow. That's unbelievable. So I want us today to look at what these disciples learned. If we can go to the next, I want you to show. The first one is they learn by doing. That's hugely important. Secondly, pro the proclamation and application go together. Thirdly, relying on the Lord to provide. And the last one is God's work continues through people like you and me. Those are four important lessons that they learned. So let's look at the first one. It's learning by doing, calling the twelve to him. He sent them out two by two, and he gave them authority over evil spirits. In other words, part of their preparation was learning by doing. And, and you've got a, there's a parallel passage to this in Luke's Gospel in chapter 9, and I want you to notice Jesus' instructions to them were quite specific. He didn't say, send them out two by two and say, have a great time and just chat to people and make friends. He's quite specific about what he says. When he called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to do what? Drive out all demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Here's the point. And I don't want us to miss this. What Jesus has been doing, he wants them to continue doing. Have you noticed that? I'm sharing that with you this morning because some people have the idea when they look at Jesus, they say, well, this is the Son of God. Jesus was God's son, son, God in the flesh. You cannot expect me to do what God was doing. I've got news for you. Jesus did. You see, when Jesus came to the earth, 
He came as a man, as a human being like you and me. The Bible says he emptied himself of all of his godly or supernatural abilities. He limited himself to being a human being like you and like I am a human being. And then by the very power of the Spirit that came upon him when he was baptized, Jesus does what he does. So when he says to his disciples, go and do the stuff I've been doing, he says, I want you to do it by the same power and same authority that I've done it. That's why you read, he gives them power and authority. Now let me explain something that most of you know. He gives them power and authority because the Holy Spirit hasn't yet been poured out on people. So this is what we call delegated authority. Saying, I have power and authority. Dunamis and exousia are the two words. And I'm giving this to you. I'm delegating that to you. Now, I don't know, I'm sure some of you will understand what it means to have power of attorney. You know what it means? So, so my mom is getting quite old and her mind sadly is going. So we went to the bank one day and she gave me power of attorney. So you know what? I can spend my mother's money just like I like. It's quite cool. It's lovely to spend somebody else's money rather than your own. And it's interesting for me, when I walk in the bank, I am not my mother, but because I have power of attorney, I can do whatever I choose to do with her money. Because she gave it to me. Now what is Jesus doing over here? He's giving to the disciples power and authority. And that's why later on, before he ascends to heaven, Jesus says to the disciples, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of my Father. Does it make sense to you? He's saying, for the mission I've called you to do, and the work that I've called you to do, you need power and authority. So that he says, wait for the gift of my Father in Acts 1, which you've heard me speak about. Here's the gift. John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and in Acts 1.8, and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Friends, to do what Jesus started doing, we need the enabling of the Holy Spirit. I want to say this without detracting from teaching. No amount of listening on its own can replace what we learn when we begin to do what Jesus instructs us to do. That makes sense. Can any, how many of you can play a musical instrument? Put up your hand. Come, don't be shy. I'm not going to ask you to play it. Tell me, did you learn that by listening or by putting your fingers on the key or whatever it is? Did you have to practice to learn? Did you get better the more you practiced? You get my point. There is part of the learning experience that involves us actually doing this stuff. We do a training course which we call Evangelism and the Supernatural. And the last part of the course is we go out and do this stuff. And so we went, and I remember us, the very first course that we did, we took a group of people to Green Market Square Saturday morning when it's really busy, and we said to the guys, now you're going to do this stuff. You could see people's eyes are like, like that, you know. I noticed how many people didn't come. They came to every single t 
teaching session, but they missed the practical session. Isn't that amazing what happens to us? The moment you've got to do the stuff, it's kind of... Anyway, so we went out there and I watched. I saw the one... uh, (laughs) I shouldn't use this phrase, but I saw they were really sweating. There was a guy in a wheelchair that came and he said, I'd like you to pray for me for healing. And here were these guys. I could see, man, they were into this in a big way. And they were panicking a bit as well at the same time. And here they were, they were playing like, Lord, heal this guy. There were others of us that were doing prophetic ministry on the streets. You learned to do that as well, and speaking words of God to people. And it was quite an interesting, I think we ministered to about 57 people in the time that we were there. But here's the point. Here was a group of people. Jesus said, go out and heal the sick. Now they were actually trying it for the first time. And you know what? They learned a whole lot of lessons through that day. I learned a whole lot of lessons through that day. My wife, Terry, will tell you that, uh, you know, after she's heard a lot of preaching in our church about we need to pray for people to be healed. So she's at Park and Shop, which is checkers down the road over here, and she hears a lady, they're sort of passing each other. She hears a lady telling her husband about, uh, you know, uh, that I've really got such a pain in my arm or leg, whatever it was, that's irrelevant. So she decides, opportunity for ministry. So ladies, right down there, chases after her husband and wife have now separated, and she says to this lady, I couldn't help but overhear the fact that you've got, a, you, you've got pain and, and I'm a Christian. Would you mind if I prayed for you? She says, what in the world are you up about? Get lost. I'm not interested in you praying for me. And was quite rude to her. And so Terry came back quite devastated, as any of us would have. But here's the point. You have to learn how to deal with that stuff if you're going to be doing it. Is that not true? It's not. Sometimes it's going to be wonderful. God's going to come through in an amazing way. Other times you're going to get the rejection of people. You remember what he said, that when people will not listen, shake the dust off your feet and move on. Guys, it's all part of the learning curve. You're never going to go out there until you can cope with the response of people. It's all part of the learning curve. Second lesson, proclamation and application go together. They went out and they preached and they drove out many demons, anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And that's the pattern that we see throughout Scripture. Do you know what the good news of the kingdom is? The good news of the kingdom is that the king has come to save and heal people. He didn't just come so you could know about him. He came to do something. And may I say to you, the gospel is holistic. God has come to save people from their sin. He's come to heal their sickness. He's come to that they may be free of the demonic. He came that they would be whole again. That's good news. Or it is to me anyway. So when we proclaim or we tell people what what Jesus has come to do for them, we need to tell them that Jesus has come to set them free from what the enemy's done to them. If the enemy's been attacking your life and my life and, and he's being, Jesus said, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus came so that you could be free from that. And I could be free from that. And everybody else can be free from that. Jesus has come to heal people from sickness 
and diseases that has afflicted them. And, and you know, today we've got wonderful medical f- facilities and hospitals to go to, but I want to tell you in those days, medical, uh, medical treatment was, was primitive. And almost everybody needed prayer for healing because the doctors couldn't do a lot. Through Jesus, the power of sin is broken. Through Jesus, you can have a relationship with God. That's the good news. And as I said, this pattern continues in the early church. Look at Acts chapter 4. You discover, here's the very first opposition the disciples are now having to, interestingly, the healing of the lame man at the temple. Interestingly, they now tell the lame people how the lame man got healed in the name of Jesus, the, 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 the religious authorities of the day said, you will no longer speak in the name of Jesus. They go back and they say, Lord, more boldness, signs, wonders, and miracles, spirit comes upon them, place is shaken, and they move on forward. You see how it works. Paul in Acts 15, he speaks about the fact um, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done. And he speaks about how that happened. Hebrews, again, this salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Friends, the disciples need to learn this. It's not only telling the story, it's practical ministry to the people as well. That makes sense to you? Some of you might have heard of, of Heidi Baker and runs an organization called Iris Ministries who, who work in, in Mozambique. And you can read her story, it's all been documented, but tells the story of where, where she was, uh, had a conference, people were coming to the conference in Mozambique, uh, a lot of poor people that came to the conference, so what they normally do is they feed people when they come to the conference, but they ran out of food. And when the people that didn't eat found out that they'd run out of food, they got agitated. There was quite a lot of tension, people were complaining, why is it some that get food and others don't get and, and it became quite a tense situation. She was called in to resolve and said, I went into the kitchen and I found there were, there were a few pots where they had a little bit of rice left in. And you know what she did? She said, God, we just need you to provide. Can you make a little bit of rice go a long way? Do you remember there's a story about that somewhere in the Bible? So she prays and guess what happens? Everybody had sufficient to eat. You see, we're there to call on the name of the Lord. We're there to trust God. We're there not only to talk about what Jesus has come to do, we're there to actually minister to people in his name as well. Yeah, the third, here's the third thing that they learned. They had to learn to rely on the Lord to provide. This is where Jesus says, take nothing with you. Now, he didn't say that every time they went. But this time, this training experience, he's saying to him, I don't want you to take anything with you. Some of you might know Brian and Sharon Telford, just some of you. They come, they're from our church. They, they're ministering in a country overseas. This is being recorded, so I don't want to talk about which country. But they, Brian decided with a friend of his from that country that they were going to do what Jesus says over here. So they, they left. They were traveling from one city to another. 
and it was going to be a couple of days, said to his wife, here's my cell phone. Said to his wife, dangerous thing, here's my wallet. He said to his wife, here's my credit card. Everything, no change of clothes, nothing, the two of them hit the road. Said every meal they needed, they had to trust God for. Every place of accommodation they slept, they had to trust God for. Every drink of water they needed, they needed to trust God for. Absolutely everything. And he said, we learned to trust God like we've never trusted God. He said, because I've discovered something, we just pull out our wallet. But Jesus is saying something very significant here. If you're going to go on mission, you need to learn to really rely on God. I think this is an area where we will struggle, personally. I know I will. And although they were on a genuine mission trip, in other words, they were proclaiming, they were praying for people for healing, they were casting out demons, they also needed to learn a very practical lesson. And that is, we need to learn to rely on the Lord for our daily provision. Do you remember that somewhere in the Lord's Prayer? Give us today. Do you know how you know why it's there? Look at Luke chapter 22. Jesus refers back to this very occasion where he has sent out the disciples. He asked them, when I sent you out without a purse, bag or sandals, did you lack anything? What's the answer? Nothing, they answered. They had learned to rely on the Lord when God sends them out in mission. And may I say, Part of God's calling on our lives is that we need to learn to trust and rely on Him. That Matthew 6.33 isn't in the Bible by accident. It's not on the screen. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things that you need will be added to you. Do you remember the important lesson that Paul learned in Philippians chapter 4? I have learned to be content in all situations... And then what does it say? Can you remember? Is it on the screen? Okay. I can do everything through him. That's a learning thing. It's something we need to learn from the Lord. One person put it like this, and I'd love to read this comment to you. Without a purse, you learn to rely on the Lord to fund what he desires. With a purse, you check the extent of your own resources, not his. That makes sense? Without a purse, you learn to rely on the Lord to fund what He desires. With a purse, you check the extent of your own resources, not His. Kendra, I'm looking at you over there. Kendra was telling us they've just been on a trip to Swaziland to spend time with a friend who's an ophthalmologist in Swaziland. And he was telling me the story when he arrived at a mission hospital years ago and said, I've come here to set up and I want to... I want to treat people. They said, here's a room. I think you said three by three, if I remember correctly. Nothing. No equipment. Nothing. Today, fully equipped buildings, facilities, teams coming in from overseas. How did he get there? By trusting in the Lord's provision. Friends, and something we need to learn is if God calls us, you put your head down and you keep trusting him for what he's promised. And often I think we look at people around us and we say, 
Wow, that's amazing. I'm going to ask God for all that stuff tomorrow. I just got some news for you. It usually doesn't happen like that. I'm not saying God can't do a miracle, but usually it means a journey of faith. That's what the disciples needed to learn. The last lesson is that God's work continues through people like you and me. And uh, it's interesting what we discover from this passage over here, that when the disciples went out in the power and authority of Jesus' name, have you noticed that they actually did this stuff? Has anybody kind of seen that? It says they healed many people, they drove out demons, and they proclaimed what they needed to proclaim. It actually happened. It happens when Jesus sends out the, the 72 after he sent out the 12 in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. It says they come back rejoicing and they say, Jesus, you know what? The demons actually submitted to us in your name. It's like, wow, this stuff actually really works. And they discovered for themselves that when Jesus instructs us to do something and we go in the power and authority of the Spirit, it actually happens. There are two reasons that I see over here why the disciples are being effective. Number one, they had the power and authority of the Spirit. Number two, they were obedient. Just those two reasons. You know, as I'm standing here this morning, there are tons of people being healed all over the world in the name of Jesus. Please do not define your healing experience by what happens in Connect Church. This is a very, very thin slice of the whole. And sometimes we determine what we believe and what we think about healing by what happens here. Friends, there are people getting healed here, but may I say to you right now as I'm standing here, there are people being healed in the name of Jesus. Do you know that right now as we're sitting in this building, there are people being delivered of demons in the name of Jesus. Do you know that as we are sitting here this morning, there are people responding to the preaching of the gospel and following Jesus and putting their faith in Jesus because God's at work all over the world. That's the reality of what is happening. I was reading, some of you, you may know Tim Keller, and uh, he ministers at the Presbyterian Church in, uh, in New York City. And... Uh, he was saying 25 years ago when he started pastoring the church there, they did an analysis, they did a survey, and they discovered that less than 1% of all of New York attended a gospel-preaching church. He's, and here's his words. He said, this was in that context the most ungodly city in the United States said in the last 25 years, that's increased to 5%. But then he made this statement, which I want to share with you and leave with you. He said, I'll, the vision statement of Redeemer is this, not to build a great church for ourselves. It's to build a great city, and the gospel does that. 
Our goal isn't to build a great church for ourselves. Uh, the gospel, the reason we have the gospel is to build a great city in the name of Jesus. That makes sense to you? God has put Connect Church in the city of Cape Town for a reason. It's not for us, it's for His glory. It's for His purposes. That means, I believe, every one of us need to be doing what Jesus said over here in this message. Remember before Jesus is crucified, He is teaching the disciples about the Holy Spirit in John's Gospel and chapter 14. And this is what He says to them, I tell you the truth. Now, whenever Jesus says, I tell you the truth, if you've got a King James Version, it says, verily, verily. That means kind of very, very serious. Okay, but this is the same phrase. I tell you the truth. Jesus is saying, I don't want you to miss this. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to be with the Father. And I know lots and lots of Christians have struggled with that. But let me tell you what I think Jesus meant. What he was saying is when what I have been doing up to now will be multiplied many times over through ordinary people like you who have been discipled and on the streets. You see, Jesus went to be with his father because he wanted to unleash the potential of the church. He wanted to release people to continue to do what he'd been doing up to then in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Part and parcel of the mission that Jesus entrusts us with will involve us learning to trust God, like the disciples did. Learning to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, like the disciples did. Learning to exercise authority like Jesus did. Learning how to articulate the good news of the kingdom. Learning to be content with God's provision. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the 21st century. His plan hasn't changed. It's still the same. And I think what we've constantly got to alert ourselves to is the fact that Jesus has called us to be about His work, sharing the good news, bringing healing to broken people, enabling other people to experience God's love and peace and joy. And to do that, we need to be intentional every day of our lives about what God's called us to do. That's, if you forget most of the sermon, which, which by the way in two weeks time you will have done, can I ask you to remember one thing? The secret to it all is just doing it. Remember the story of John Wimber when he got saved from drugs and all of the stuff he was into and came, went to church and after six months he said, so when are we going to do this stuff? Seriously. The Vineyard Church started out of that comment and the, el the leaders of the church, elders of the church said, we don't do that anymore. He said, well then what have I given up drugs for? And that led him to go and say, 
we need to be doing the stuff that Jesus asked us to do. Last comment and then I'll close. Having spent time in scriptures like this, even as a pastor of the church who has the privilege of every day of my life devoting all of my time to the Lord's work, I get up every day and remind myself that the reason I'm here is to do what Jesus came to do. There are lots of other things I can do. But the primary reason, and I say that to myself every day, and I'm sharing that with you because if I need to do it, so do you. When you wake up in the morning, remind yourself about what God has called us to do. There is no hope for our city outside of the gospel. We can fix things a little bit. But there's no genuine hope for the brokenness. Now they've called in the army, by the way. But there's no hope, genuine hope, at the end of the day, what I really call hope, unless you and I are mobilized as the church. You may be at the stage where you're quite comfortable to do some of these things, or you may be at the stage in your life where you say, John, I act as a bicky bun. That, if you're not Afrikaans speaking, that means I'm a little bit scared. That's okay. Just keep doing it. Remember the story about how you learned to drive? Gave us a bicky bang. You were terribly fearful when you started, but today you jump in your car like it snowed tomorrow. It's because you kept persevering. Friends, can we keep as a church pushing into this stuff? And not let go. And trust God that as we're obedient, as we rely on Him, we will see the works of Jesus continue. Amen? Amen. So God, I it's kind of I just feel very privileged this morning to have been able to speak in your name. The words of the gospel. And Lord, to know right now that the Holy Spirit has been at work in people's lives. And Father, I really do want to pray that we will not get stuck in religion. But God, we will be released to do the stuff of the gospel. I pray, Lord, that our own inherent fear and apprehension of what will happen when we go out there will not stop us. But God, somehow that you will give to us a boldness as the disciples had boldness. And God, in the power of the Spirit, we'll speak. Lord, I pray. And give us the courage to pray for the sick. Give us the courage, Lord, when we see and discern at the enemies at work, that, Lord, we will reach out to people and minister to them in your name. Because you, you've come that people might be free and free indeed.
God, I pray that this morning. We see the city. We see the crisis. We're overwhelmed sometimes with the challenges. But God, may we be overwhelmed this morning with the knowledge that the very power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within us. That you said you are able to do far beyond that which we can even ask or imagine according to your power at work in our lives. In Jesus' name, in church, can you say amen?